On the other side of your announcements are notes. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Today's sermon is called The Names of God. Now, just to give you a little insight into what I do as a pastor, when you see me have slides and I'm clicking them and we're going through a sermon, that means that I've prepared the sermon during the week. That means there is a series that I'm going through. And you'll turn over the announcements and you'll see notes that are like fill in the blank and you'll go with it. Then there's a season which I'm in right now where I will not know what I am speaking until I walk into that room and start to pray. And then God will give me a message. So those of you who have said, why is it sometimes you give us notes, you don't have the notes, why is it other times there's things on the screen and, and sometimes there's not, that's the reason why. Now today's message is actually found on a website, and I want you to be able to go to it. So, um, Andrew, go to the chat log. I put it up there on the Metro Praise chat log or my Facebook under my comments so that they can see it actually in the Hebrew. But today's lesson came from, uh, the idea came from our 201 class. We're talking about having an hour devotional life with God. How many think you should spend an hour a day with God? Amen. And I was helping them do this in the book. And as an extra, you know, just knowledge to give them, I wanted them to see all the different names of God in the Hebrew Old Testament. So today, I, I, and I was praying back there, and I felt the Lord say, share this with the whole congregation, because a lot of times people don't know who their God is. Like if I asked you to describe God to me, you would say he's, he's loving, he's powerful, but can you go beyond that, you know? And you, when you look into the Old Testament, they knew their God by different titles, and so today, I want you to see his name and all the wonderful titles that describe who he is. Just like today, if you were in a relationship with somebody and you were to say, you know, my wife is beautiful. My wife is smart. My husband is hardworking. I'm going to give you the name and the titles of God today. So, Andrew, when we get to the names, I want you to put up the scripture. And then when we get to the scriptures, put on the scripture so they can follow along. So let's start in Exodus chapter 3. Here is the first time that God reveals his name in the Old Testament by the word Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Now, today you're going to learn this name Yahweh as Jehovah. Everybody say Jehovah. And you're going to understand the difference in just a moment. But let's look to Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses' encounter at the burning bush, starting chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, rather, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, just to give you an idea of this, when you lived in the desert times, these uh, arid places, dry places, sometimes would have so much heat from the sun that bushes would catch fire. You still see this today in the West, in California, wildfires. And actually, that's a way of the land replenishing itself. But the strange things that Moses sees here is it's a bush on fire. He's seen that before, but what's unique is it's not burning up. It's staying perfectly whole while it's on fire. So he goes over to it. Somebody say the burning bush. Amen. You might have heard of this. But let's keep going. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. So now the bush is talking. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So now this bush is talking, God's presence is there. And as God begins to speak, Moses gets so um, just intimidated by God's power that he just hides his face. This is a power encounter with God. Now, as we keep reading, God begins to talk to him about delivering Israel out of Egypt. Has anybody heard the story of the Exodus before? The word Exodus is where we get the word exit. It means to leave. Exodus is the people of Israel leaving Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Now, God wants Moses to go to the president of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation at that time, and ask him to release a million of his slave laborers. So that would be like us going to the president of China saying, release all of these sweatshop workers in Jesus' name. Could you imagine how that would go? Number one, you probably wouldn't even get to talk to the person, let alone make a demand. But that is what God is asking Moses to do. So you can see now, turn with, uh, look at me, look with me to verse 12. God said, I will be with you. So you know Moses is intimidated. He doesn't want to do this by himself. And he says, this will be a sign that I am with you and I have sent you. And I, that I will bring the people out of Egypt and you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me. And they ask, what is his name? Everybody say, what is his name? You see, in that day, as you're reading right here, the word God in the English language is a generic term in the Hebrew as well called El or Elohim. And so as I say to you, I love God, in this culture, you might say, what God? The Buddhist God, the Hindu God, the Muslim God. Does everybody understand? God, G-O-D, is a pretty generic English word for God, isn't it? Well, in the Hebrew, it's the word El. So what Moses is saying is, if I tell them El met with me, or God, they're going to ask me, what God? What is his name? What is the name of the one you are representing so that we know it is the God that was with Abraham in the past, that was with Isaac and Jacob? And now here God says to Moses in verse 14, his name, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now, just to give you a little bit of history, the word I am in the Hebrew really is just four consonants, four consonants. And they call these consonants the tetragrammaton. Now, you don't have to remember all of this. But simply, when it's written out in the English, it's Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. Now, since the Hebrew language didn't put vowels in their writing, they would read only consonants and then sound the vowels as they go. It was more of a spoken language than written. We have to assume that the letters are an A and an E. So it's Y-A-H-W-H. E-H. Yahweh, and go ahead and put up that note for me, brother. So in English, we would say his name, Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Go down just a little bit for me. Now, there is the four letters. These four Hebrew letters in the yellow is what we would have, Y-H-W-H. Now, Yahweh is the name that would transliterate into English, but 
the theology of the church has mostly come from Germany in the Great Reformation when Martin Luther left the Catholic Church. When he left the Catholic Church, he was a German-speaking Christian, and he translated the Bible into his known language in German. Up until that time, into the 1500s, the Bible was in Latin, and Latin was an extinct language. No one understood what the church was talking about because they always talked in Latin, and they read the Bible in Latin. How many know that would be some boring church? And there are actually people today that I know that go to Latin masses, and they don't even understand Latin. I actually have met people like that. Religion will make a fool out of you. That's all i got to say. Amen. Get set free and live for Jesus. Amen. I pity the fool. Now, come to an English-speaking or a language you understand church. So he's speaking German, and guess how you would translate Yahweh into German? Jehovah. Now, does everybody understand where the word Jehovah comes from? Now our misinformed friends, the Jehovah Witnesses, get all happy. His name's Jehovah, his name's Jehovah, his name's Jehovah. So then they want to say, if you don't say Jehovah and you say the word God, then you are now a false teacher or a false Christian. So what they want to try to knock on your door and tell you, along with all of their other heresies or false truths, is that you have to call them Jehovah. And if you've ever had them in your house, that's the first thing they go for, is what do you call them? What do you call them? What do you call them? Well, your Bible says Lord in the English, but it's not really Lord. It's a tetragrammaton. And they'll go through all of this confusing stuff, and to them it makes perfect sense to try to get you to call him Yahweh or Jehovah. And you might say, well, maybe it does make a little sense. But hold on, there's, there's a thing that you might want to know. Uh, in that same verse it says, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, he still calls himself God. Do you understand? It's okay to call him God. It's okay to call him Lord. You understand. You get this. Jehovah Yahweh is the name of our God. Yes. But you can call him God, and he knows if you're referring to him because he's pretty smart. Okay? And how about this? Jesus said, ask in my name. We are to ask in his name. And when he talked to God, how did he refer to him? Did he call him Yahweh? Did he call him Jehovah? In the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Our Father. So these Jehovah Witnesses can try to come with all that religious garbage. But the truth is, God loves you. He's a Father. Call him your Father and pray in Jesus' name and your prayers will be heard. Amen? That's a little extra. Now, what I want to do, this is all the introduction, by the way. What I want to do now is show you all of the wonderful titles that come with the name of God. What I want to show you is that God throughout the whole Old Testament says, I am that I am. I am the self-existing one, which means, by the way, he has no beginning and no end. So sometimes when we talk to people who believe in evolution, we say, where did the Big Bang come from? Who banged it? You get my point? See, I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. It was God. Amen? He spoke it. Bang! It happened. There's your Big Bang. Now, they want to say to you, well, if you're so smart and you say God created the world, well, who created God? Well, here's the point. God, by definition, does not have a creator. That's why he is God. The definition of God is self-existing. The definition of God is all-powerful. So when God revealed his name to Moses, he is saying, I am that I am. I am the self-existing one. Now, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he starts describing how awesome he is through his name. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Now, you're just playing with me right now. Say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, as you learn about Jehovah Jireh. Everybody say Jireh. 
It's spelled J-I-R-E-H. As we're turning to Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. Here God is dealing with Abraham. And as he's dealing with Abraham, he asks him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Go and just switch back to the scriptures, my brother. I know you're going to be working hard today. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14 talks about God actually asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. A little side note, why did he ask him to do that? Because he was testing his faith. That's a good answer. But how about this? Did someone eventually sacrifice their son? It was the father. It was a type and a shadow. Can I actually tell you something? Human sacrifice is a demonic imitation of God's sacrifice. It actually is a demonic imitation of what God always intended. God was trying to draw the picture. Something precious will die to give life. Now you see these old movies where they had to throw the woman into a volcano to have it stop erupting. The devil confused people and had them practice these pagan, as we know them, traditions. But where did that idea come from? If somebody innocent, a virgin, is tied up, if somebody is tortured, maybe something good will happen. Where did they get this idea from? Because God, from the very beginning, had a plan to send his son. And when he tested Abraham, it was to show him, Even as awesome as you are and as great as your son is, it can't even come from you. But I'll test you to see if you're willing to sacrifice what I will sacrifice. That's how I see the story. But in this chapter, Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, Abraham has his child Isaac on the altar. And he's about ready to to kill him, to, to pass this test. And this is what God says. So Abraham, or rather, uh, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Isn't Jesus the only son of the father? Look at that. Verse 13. I need some Bible readers in here. Can you say amen? Praise God. I got to teach a little bit on Sunday. Is that okay? Amen. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. How do you say that in the Hebrew? Jehovah Jireh. Everybody say Jehovah Jireh. You see what God said is that, Abraham, you can't provide the sacrifice. I will provide the sacrifice. Can I encourage you today from this scripture that God is your provider? His name is I will provide. So today, as you're struggling with this economy, as you might be feeling the effects of the recession, and you might be saying, oh, Lord, you just need to put one other thing out there. Oh, Lord, my provider. Oh, Lord, you know these taxes and these bills and all this, but you are my provider. Oh, Lord, they may fire me, but you'll provide another job. Oh, Lord, this car might break down, but you will get me a transportation to work. You need to know the God who provides. If I had a church to say amen, I might get to preaching up in this thing. He is a provider. That is in his name. It is in his nature. You and I are not going through life alone. Think of that name when you call upon him. You're calling upon the God who provides. It would be like me telling you, my name is Joe the millionaire. 
And if I had a million dollars, wouldn't you feel pretty confident to come and ask for five dollars? Bill Gates, would you be okay to get something like five dollars from Bill Gates? If you went up to him and said, Bill Gates, the billionaire, may I have five dollars? Let's say you were his friend. Let's say you were his child. Would he withhold anything good from his child? Well, the Bible says if wicked people know how to do good for their own, how much more God our Father unto his children. So when you go up to him, he's not God broke, busted, and disgusted, lights hanging down from heaven, flickering. He don't have no air conditioning up there, having to put a fan on in heaven. God is more than enough. He is your abundant, I will provide every time on time, God. As the old timers used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. He'll be there when he said he'll be there. He will not bring you out this far to let you drown in the water. He will bring you to the other side. God is a provider. And when you call on him, call on his name. God, you're my provider. Hallelujah. God is the God who provides every good and perfect gift according to James. And go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. The Bible also says through Christ Jesus that the promise continues to the New Testament that he will provide for every one of your needs. Sometimes in life you and I will face troubles and we'll say, God, where are you? You know what he's doing? He's working on your behalf behind the scenes. I'm reminded of this story. When I was starting off a church in New Orleans, I barely had half of nothing. Come on. Get that in your mind. I barely had half of nothing. I didn't have anything. You know, not only could I not feed the poor, I was the poor. People were sending me groceries. I'm being honest with you. Box of groceries coming from my family friends in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Just knew you were hungry, Pastor. I'm telling you. And I remember one time I got on my knees and I said, God, you know we need about $10,000. we got to pay this. we got to do this. And I just started sweating. And, and the, you know, the bills were racking up and the people were asking for their money. And I always wanted to be on time because I didn't want to give God a bad reputation. And one time I went to that post office box. And I went up there and I opened the letter. I met this gentleman on an airplane. And he sent in that letter exactly what I needed, $10,000. But the good part about it is God said, look at the date. Look at the date of that check. I looked at the date. It was dated the day I started praying. Come on, somebody. God said, come on, get that boy some money. Put a date on there and put it in the mail. And I'm sitting here stressing out. And God's just sitting in the mail. It's in the mail. Look at your neighbor say, it's in the mail. You see, God is working behind the scenes. You don't know what God is doing on your behalf. He's working behind the scenes. You've got to tell your other neighbor it's in the mail. You see, God is putting things in order. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God, whose God is he? I said, whose God is he? My God. Can't be your mama's God. It can't be your daddy's. It's got to be your God. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My friends, we need some people today that believe in a big God. We need to believe in a God that's more than enough. We need to believe in a God that still does miracles, that steals, that, that still clears mortgage debts. I've heard testimonies of God clearing mortgage debt, giving promotion, giving what we need. I just heard about a young lady that had her whole college debt paid for by a businessman so that she could move forth in her career. God still favors his people, y'all. 
And sometimes you might say, well, I'm just working every day and every night. Then God is working through your working every day and every night because your consistency is building a platform for God to bless you because God don't bless a mess, y'all. He's not just saying sit on your holy hindquarters and wait for it to come. You've got to get out there and work. You've got to get out there and fill out applications. I'm telling our young people right now, don't come to Bible class unless you filled out ten applications with the manager's names and numbers that you talk to. You see, you've got to give what God needs to work with. God said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Amen? But he will always provide. The second one I want you to learn about is that he is Jehovah Rophi, R-O-P-H-E, Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. How many need a healer? Come on, reach out and touch me. Jesus, one touch from the master. You'll never need to take those pills again. One touch from the master. I could take off these glasses and never use them again. God can do in one moment what the modern science and medical world can't do in a thousand years. I still believe he's a healer. How about some emotional pain today being healed? God would do what Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, and the doctor show can't do all put together. God can heal a broken heart. You may feel like your heart, and I always love describing it like this because I felt it this way so many times. You may feel like your heart is one of those little precious moments, figurines. You ever seen those type of things that older women have in their house? No offense if you're a young woman, you have them. But I always remember like my grandma having these little precious moments, porcelain figurines, right? Okay. Okay, don't throw anything at me. But imagine one of these precious things being thrown down and it's just breaking in a zillion pieces everywhere. Sometimes your heart feels like that. You need a healer. You need somebody to put you back together again. You need somebody to mold you and shape you and do what only God can do. And he is a healer, my friends. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here God tests the people of Israel. They got out of the land of Egypt. You know, if you read the rest of the Exodus story, they go through the Red Sea. There is victory at every corner. There's a burning bush. There's a fire by day, a cloud, a cloud by day, a fire by night. They're seeing t- uh, snakes come out of the, uh, of the cane of, that, of rod, the rod of Moses. They're seeing miracles. And then guess what God does? He says, Moses, take a turn right here. They're in the middle of a desert. God says, take a turn right here. And you know where they find themselves? In the middle of the desert with no water. And then the only little pond or stream they have, they drink it, it's bitter water. It either had toxins in it or it was salt water that was coming from the ocean or the sea that was by them coming from an underground well. And here are the people now, instead of just saying, hey, he's our provider. He's already showed us that he can provide. The Israelites start freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. We're all going to die in the desert. Just forgetting that God parted a Red Sea for them to survive. Just forgetting that there's a cloud that covers them during the day. Just forgetting that there's a miraculous fire at night. Forgetting all of that. They say, we're going to die. And look at what happens in Exodus chapter 17, uh, chapter 15 rather. Just go up to verse 1, brother, so they can see the context. Oh, right there, verse 15 is there. I'm sorry. It does start. uh, 22, look at it. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. See, Moses led them there, but wasn't Moses being led by God? But why would God lead them into a place of a desert with now no water? Three days. See, sometimes we don't understand God will test you to show you something. Come on. 
For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. How many wants your bitter waters to become sweet today? How many want to see God change your bitter waters into sweet waters? That's what God did for them. Keep reading. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You see, God brought them to a place of human weakness to show him the God's strength that he alone has. Some people ask, why am I dealing with this sickness? Why is this thing in my life? God, where are you? You can't be here because I'm in pain. And God is saying, no, I allowed you to go there so you could know my healing. He's not justifying what people have done. He's not justifying the, the, the attacks of other people, the lies of saying. He's just saying, I use all things for good. And there may be some of you here today dealing with a sickness, dealing with something that just disabilitates you. And you might say, why, God? Here's why. He wants you to depend on him. Do you know that when I'm feeling great and everything's going good, I don't pray as I should? But when trouble starts to come, I get a little sniffles. Oh, Lord. How many know when everything's going good in the marriage, you and your husband or wife can kind of let devotion slip aside? But all of a sudden, you all start fighting. What do you do? You start calling on the Lord. It's not that evil is good. It's not that sickness is good. It's that so many times we forget how good God is, and he's just got to give us a taste of bitter waters again. He's got to remind your body before you try to become some supermodel or some superstar sport, sports you know, player. He's got to remind you this thing will perish. Live for eternity. He's got to allow you to taste bitter waters so you won't marry that jerk, but you'll wait for that man of God. He's got to allow you to go through some things, even as painful as it is, so that you'll never do that to your children, and that curse over your family will be broken. You might say, why did you let me go through this, God? And God said, I did it because I knew you could make it through. And trust me, where other people failed, I knew you would trust me. He took the Israelites to a place that other people would have left God. They would have left him right there. We're done, God. We're going back to Egypt. But he chose them to be tested. And the Bible says if you're in a test, you're coming out and it will be your testimony. Hallelujah. You will have a testimony. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 29. The Bible says Jesus knows your pain because sometimes we still feel it's unfair. Okay, well, even if God works it out for good, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through what I go through? The Bible says because of Adam and Eve's sin, darkness, evil, sickness came to this earth. That's why children have diseases. But God still uses it. There's a paraplegic preacher, evangelist, lost both uh, all of his limbs. He'll sit up on a little table like this preaching to y'all, saying, don't you live for this world. If God has brought me through this, he'll bring you through it. Don't live for this world. You see, we get our mind on it. So, but then we still say, but, but who understands, really? I've talked to abused children and the pain they go through, unimaginable. Who, who can understand that? It's, 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 
beyond. It's horrifying, the things that I've heard and been told. But look at what 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says. 2 Peter, rather. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. When Jesus was on that cross, he felt what you felt. When Jesus was there, he felt molestation. He felt abandonment. He felt drug addiction. He felt abuse. He felt sickness, disease, cancer, AIDS, diabetes, arthritis, emphysema. He felt it all. Alzheimer's, he knew what it was like. And by the wounds, by the punishment they put upon him he said you're healed so my friends in your bitter times in your broken times in your times of sickness don't run away from God run to God he is there to heal you and when you call on him say Jesus my healer because he is a healer how many have been healed emotionally or physically by the Lord Jesus Christ say amen praise him somebody don't get discouraged When you go through a bitter time, trust in the God who heals the brokenhearted. And my friends, heaven is real. Every wrong will be made right. It says on that day he will wipe away every tear. Everything you thought wasn't handled, everything you thought somebody forgot about, oh, they got away with it. Maybe you didn't get to play on the sports with the rest of the people. All that you've been through, on that day it will come to pass. He will explain it. He will heal it and wipe away the tears. It says it's a new day, baby. Come on. Here's the new earth. Run, jump, skip, fish, wakeboard, play basketball, double flip, dunk, whatever, because it's new. All things become new in Christ. I believe in a heaven. Set your eyes on that. This is the last thing that I remember saying to my grandmother. She ended up having Alzheimer's and had one of the worst cases that you can get. Forgot everything, forgot herself, forgot how to use the bathroom. Went to a nursing home. I, I saw her. I broke down. It would have been easier for me to deal with her in a casket. Seeing her walk around like a mad person broke me down in tears. I could not stop crying. I couldn't talk. I was crying so hard. And then when she passed away just a few weeks ago, I went to the funeral, and it was a small funeral because she had outlived most of her friends and relatives. It was only my family. That was it, about six of us standing at the graveside of this patron to our family. And as I began to share, I said, the last time I spoke with Grandma, I shared with her the scripture that came from Romans. Though outwardly we are fading away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day from glory to glory. And God put it in my heart that day to encourage me. He said, I knew your grandma, and I never forgot her. Even when her mind forgot herself, I never forgot her. And today in heaven, she is made new. My friends, if there is no heaven, this life is miserable. Set your eyes on Jesus. Don't let this miserable life take away the joy that God gives. There is a peace after this life. There is a reconciliation after this life. Paul himself said, if there is no resurrection, if there is no heaven, then forget it all because there is no hope down here. Think about it, my friend. Set your eyes on the healer. Say amen. Praise God. Look with me now. It is Exodus chapter 17, verse uh, 15. Jehovah Nisi, N-I-S-S-I, Nisi. The Lord is our banner of victory. 
Somebody get that American flag for me, please, for an illustration as we're turning to Exodus 17, verse 15. We talked about last week at the 4th of July, O star-spangled banner, still yet waving, all through the night, bombs bursting in sight. Just wave that around, brother. Just face them and wave it a little bit. When Francis Scott saw this flag, put it around. We've got a Navy officer telling you it's not the right way. You've got to flip it. You've got to have that side facing them. There you go. Listen to me, my friends. I know this is funny, but get the seriousness of this. When we were in a battle for our freedom, Francis Scott said he saw the flag waving, star-spangled banner waving, waving throughout the bombs. You know what the Bible says? God is your banner of victory. Everything you're facing, everything you're going through, he is that banner of victory. Every bomb coming your way, every attack coming your way, he's above it, untouched, still waving. Somebody say amen. Thank you, my brother. Look at Exodus 17, verse 15. I'm getting excited today. Aren't you glad you came to church? Amen. Exodus 17, verse 15. They had been in a battle. And look at what God shows them here after this battle. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of God. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Who will be at war against them? The Lord. Can I tell you something? You can't take the devil head on. I can't take the devil head on. There is no one that can fight principalities and darkness and evil. But you know who can? The Lord can. You ever seen that, that cartoon with those two little dogs? That one little dog always following that bulldog. Yip, 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 yip. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And the dog always just kind of pushes that little one away. And then you've seen that part of the cartoon where that little dog walks up to a dog that's a little bit bigger than him. And that dog's barking at him. And then all of a sudden, that dog that's barking at him gets scared and starts to shiver. And then that little dog thinks he's all powerful. And he said, look what I did. I'm pretty tough. And then what does he do? He looks around and he sees that big bulldog there. My friends, demons flee in Jesus' name. Demons flee in Jesus' name. They're not afraid of you. They're not afraid of your job. They're not afraid of your degree. They're not afraid of all the plans you have for your family. Those demons will find a way into your house to destroy your family. They will have you do things you never thought you would do. Those spirits will come upon your children. They are not intimidated by anything in this world. And all of those little patron saints and all of those horoscopes, nothing works. But when you say, Jesus, there's a banner of victory that starts the way. And the Bible says they flee from him. Praise God. The Bible says he fights against them. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Somebody say, more than a conqueror. Have you heard that before in the Bible, that you're more than a conqueror? Have you been told it? Let's remind ourselves today. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Paul said to the people of Rome as they were facing persecution, these people in the, the time that this was written, listen to me, friends, were put inside of coliseums, burned at the stakes, eaten by wild animals. Those things that you see in history books happened to our Christians in, the, in Rome. As a matter of fact, during the time of Nero, an emperor of Rome, he lit his streets with burning Christians because he hated what Christians did to his nations. He put them down the rows of their street, lit them as lamps in his city. Look what Paul writes to these people suffering the most horrendous Treatment, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He says, no, 
Go to verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Now, I know we got it bad here, my friends, but have you ever felt like literally you're facing death? Maybe some of our military servicemen have, but most of us can't even say that. These Christians were facing death. Imagine watching your children getting slaughtered. Imagine watching your friends die. This is happening to 100,000 of our believers right now around the world. They are facing this as they did. He said, for your sake, God, we face death all day long and are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You don't think of a sheep being a strong animal. You could kill a sheep so easily. He says, we're just like sheep. They're slaughtering us. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Now, you understand death? Now, most people can't defeat death, can they? You know anybody that can defeat death? Have you met anybody yet that can defeat death? You might, you might pay to see that, that fight with Brock Lesnar. Has that already happened? Already happened? Who won? Brock just, just, just stomped on him? But can that man, can, that, can Brock Lesnar defeat death? Can anybody defeat death? He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is only one person that can keep you from death and hell and keep you from the things of this world, demons and angels. And his name is what? I said his name is what? Shout it out on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus. And he is your banner of victory. Call on him when you face trouble. Jesus. Jesus. When you're facing issues in your family. Jesus. I remember being in a car in a highway, four-lane traffic. We were driving. We put on our brakes so hard in front of us. I saw the car flying. I saw the car about ready to hit me, a crash in front of me. I said, Jesus. The car came right past me, hit the next car. And I still went to church that day, baby. Call on Jesus. I've heard of stories of people being on deathbeds. Jesus, dead being raised. We're seeing blinded eyes open. We've seen gang members accept Jesus Christ because Jesus is the banner of victory. I remember watching a video of these Christians in Los Angeles. They were a part of gangs, and they had to go to their gang and get beaten out of that. And the pastor said, I'll let you do it as long as I can call on Jesus. They hit him a few times and left him alone. Jesus is the answer, my friends. Face gangs. Face principalities. Face demons. Face governments. They're putting our Christians right now up for trial in Islamic nations, and they call on his name. They call on the name of Jesus. What are you facing today? What battle is happening around you? What is coming against you? Temptation? What's coming against you? Lust? Anger? Family members? A neighbor? Call on the name of Jesus. A banner of victory comes up. You are victorious more than a conqueror. Say amen. Come on. Turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. He is Jehovah Mikadesh. Can you say Mikadesh? M apostrophe K-A-D-D-E-S-H. Mikadesh. If you need these notes, email me at the end because this is hot off the press. I didn't even know I was preaching this today until I was back there. Jehovah Mikadesh. This is who your God is. He's not some silly willy God from uh, Disney World. He's not some X-Men Transformer God. He's not some Allah God. This is your God. Your God is a provider. Your God 
is a healer. Your God is victorious. And guess what else he does? He sanctifies you. You ever felt like you were dirty and you couldn't get clean? You ever felt like there were habits in your life you couldn't break? The Bible says he is the one who cleanses you. You can't cleanse yourself. You ever seen a dish in the sink clean itself? No, you might be able to put in that dishwasher, but it ain't just going to clean itself. You ever seen a little child clean itself? No. I love Bethany, but she can stink every now and then. Amen? See, sometimes I say, you smell like a wet puppy. I'm serious. Y'all think I'm mean now. She does. She'll smell like a wet puppy. She'll be outside playing in the dirt. She'll get her hair. She'll get some food up in herself from the day. And at the end of the day, if Nancy doesn't give her a bath, she'll smell like a little wet puppy. And they say, if you think girls are bad, people have told me, wait till you get a little boy. Listen to me, my friends. We have to clean her. We have to give her a bath. You need a spiritual bath today. You need to be washed of your sins. You need to be washed of your character. God forbid you come and leave out this service saying, well, I got so many problems and God just understands. I'll tell you the only thing you understand is a devil's hell and a Christian going to heaven sanctified. That's the only thing he understands. He don't understand a Christian living like the devil. If you want to live like the devil, you'll go to a devil's hell. But what God wants to do is sanctify you, prepare you for heavenly places. If I came to your if I came to your house, anybody, I don't care how loving you are. If I came to your house after just jumping in to the septic tank of Chicago with every nasty thing all over me, you are not going to let me come in and sit on your couch. You'll say I'll pray, you'll, you'll you'll say I'll spray you down right here. I'll help you out. You are not going to let me into your house because you have enough sense not to let something that nasty into your house stain and to, and to mess up your house. God said nothing evil shall come into my house. God said nothing impure shall come into my house. He said the road is wide and the path is wide to destruction, but the road to heaven is narrow. Very few find it. My friends, you need to get on that narrow path. And when you feel like you might stumble, you feel like there's temptation, you feel like there's evil within your heart, you need to do what David it said and cry out lord create in me a clean heart create in me a clean heart wash me clean and i will be clean look at leviticus chapter 20 verse 7 if you're there say i'm there come on wait for you somebody say i'm getting there amen the rest of y'all just paying attention to me i guess look at your word people come on leviticus 20 verse 7 look at it What did Moses tell him right here that God was saying? Leviticus 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. Did he say you could choose which ones you want? Did he say everybody makes mistakes every now and then? I was just wondering, how would that work for the pastor? Because I hear that a lot from the members, you know what I'm saying? Pastor, I just made a mistake. We all make mistakes. How would that work today if I was like, hey, guys, I just went out and had a prostitute last night, but we all make mistakes. Yeah, pa- Pastor, did we see you slaying and doping in Humboldt Park all up around? Yeah, that was me, but uh, nobody's perfect. Pastor, was that you on Belmont and Clark with your shirt twisted up, looking with some lipstick on? Don't you judge me. I'm on church. I go to church. You don't know my heart. Don't judge me. How would that work for the pastor? Oh, no, we want him to live holy, but everybody else gets those don't judge me cards. They get those excuses. Oh, oh, you know, but he's perfect. My friends, God will change everybody. The old saying goes, he will take you from the guttermost to the uttermost. 
He reaches a hand in the gutter, the other one to glory, and he brings you to where you need to be. He will not leave you the way you are. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way. Look at the scripture as it says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Do you want to be holy today? Do you want to be pure today? Gentlemen, when you look at women, do you want to be pure? Are you sick and tired of of grieving the spirit? Everybody here, are you tired of sin? Are you tired of the evil that it does to your family and your life? Are you tired of the characteristics about yourself that you say, I just don't like it? I'll tell you there's somebody you can call on. His name is Jehovah, and he's also Jehovah Mekadesh, the one who makes holy. Call on him today, and he'll make you holy. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Look at your neighbor and say, change your clothes. You see, the Bible says you can put off your sin and put on the nature of Christ. What are you wearing today? I could tell what you're wearing by looking at you, and I can tell what you're wearing in your attitude by how you act. Look at Colossians 1, verse 2. Or rather, Colossians uh, chapter 1. Help me, Jesus. Hot off the press. Sometimes don't come off the way you like it with all the hitches. Look at chapter 3, rather. Verse 3. Back up to verse 1. You're going to love it. Somebody say, I'm going to love it. Look at it. Thank you. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Now your life is rid of these. But now you must rid your life of all these things. Anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and its practices put on the new self and have been transformed to renewing of your knowledge uh, to the image of Christ. Keep going. Verse 12. Therefore as God's chosen, holy, dearly beloved people, clothe yourselves. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at your neighbor and say, what you wearing? Come on, what are you wearing? Husbands, just say it a little bit harder to your wife right now. Help her. Well, it gets quiet. <laughs> I always blame the fights on my wife, but how many know it's really my fault? Amen. Men, we just admit it off top. We're always wrong. But how many know in the home that somebody's got to admit they're wrong? Somebody's got to take off the attitude and put on compassion. How many know on your job you could argue with your boss all day long and be right and still go home and be broke? How many know you got to be humble in your job and on your job? Come on. If you want that paycheck, you got to be humble. My friends, we need to take off the junk in our life and put on the good. But is anybody able to do that right now by themselves? Does anybody here know how to get into your heart, do a home renovation, and just snap it just like that and make it new? But God does, and that's his name, Jehovah Mikadesh. Can you say Jehovah Mikadesh? Would you stand to your feet with me today? Band, would you come? Next week I'm going to preach to you the rest of these wonderful names. In review today, what have you learned? His name is Jehovah or Yahweh, and it means the self-existing one. It's the God who has always been there and will always be there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 
18 through 20, says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And the God that is with us unto the end of the age, who is he? He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He will provide in our times of need. He is Jehovah Rophi, our healer. We may go through bitter times, but he will show us his sweetness and his healing. He is Jehovah Nisi, the banner of victory that flies over our lives in the midst of a battle. He never said you wouldn't go into a valley. He just said you would go through a valley. He didn't say you wouldn't fight. He just said when you fight, you're more than a conqueror. His banner will wave over your life. He is Jehovah Mikadesh, the one who sanctifies, because no one can clean themselves on the inside. No one can change who they really are down deep. But he says, take off the old and put on the new, and I will make you like my son Jesus. Today and for the rest of your life, will you remember who your God is? Come back next week excited. I'm going to show you some more names of who your God is. And when you pray, speak those names. God, my healer. You don't have to know the Hebrew. That's okay. Just God, my healer. And let's sing that song, please. My healer. God, my healer. God, my provider. Do you know that when I get into this is my favorite, I'm just going to give you a little taste for next week. How many know Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I bet you never saw it that way, but now you're going to think about it. That's Jehovah Rohi. Rohi is shepherd in the Hebrew. In Hebrew. You know what David said? He said, I know he's my shepherd. That's how he started off his prayer. How many times do we start off our prayer and we're in doubt? I don't know, God, if it's going to work out. I don't know, God. I don't know. When David started off, what did he say? The Lord is my shepherd. Start by proclaiming who he is. Amen. Father, our shepherd, our healer, our provider, our banner of victory and sanctifier, we come to you today. We worship you. Each one of us have different things in our heart that spoke to us. Lord, I pray that we'll grow closer to you right now in these next few moments. As the band sings, would you just be where you are? If you want to come to the altar, you can. But wherever you are, can you just talk to the Lord? I want to give you some personal reflection time between you and God. Whatever spoke to you, go ahead and sing it, man. Thank you. That's your my healer. Come on, just right where you are. Make this message real to you today. Come on, you can come to the front or you can pray where you are. Just sing to the song. Just worship Him today. Acknowledge who He is. You're my portion. I believe more than enough.